Good morning. It's a grand day, isn't it? Yesterday was really a nice day. I love hot. Do you like hot? Some of you going, hmm. Hmm. Just remember what we were saying about three months ago, right? It's not so bad to have it hot. Anyway, I'm going to leave that. We don't need to be divisive over that issue. It doesn't even matter. Nine weeks ago, we begin our summer series uh, entitled The Heart of the Matter. And this is following our 2019 theme of being spiritually intelligent. And so we've broken this series down into uh, three big sub-series. Today I'm finishing up the first sub-series, and it's on virtues versus uh, devices. And um, next week we're going to begin a two-week short series on relationships, being emotionally smart. And then after that, we're going to move into several weeks on how to make life decisions and how to be smart when we're doing um, our our lives. Um, Do you remember the question that we kicked off with this series? Uh, It was nine weeks ago. Does anybody remember what happened yesterday? About nine weeks ago. You remember the big question we talked about the first, very first message? Do you want to be well? Yeah, do you want to be well? Jesus came upon a paralytic and he asked him, do you want to be well? And that question was really more than do you want to be healed? It was a question of do you want to be whole, body, soul, and spirit? And I asked you that very same question when we begin the series, do you want to be well? And most of you said yes. Some of you I'm still praying for because you don't want to be well, evidently. You know, but the rest of you said, I want to be well. What does it mean to be well? And that's what we've been uh, looking at for the last several weeks in this vices versus virtue uh, sub-series. What does it look like to be well? What does it look like to be a person that lives out the virtues of the Lord Jesus Christ instead of being one who succumbs to vices and sinfulness? And we've seen that God has given us a means of grace to move from vice to virtue that oftentimes isn't real intuitive. Because frequently what we think is, I have this problem with lust, what I have to do is try to be a pure person. And we try really hard not to be lustful, and we try to be a pure person, and we get very frustrated, and instead we have to step into the means of grace that God has provided for us. And so when it comes to something like lust, it's understanding how to love correctly. And so I have in your note-taking guides the chart of what we covered the last seven weeks. And the only reason I'm putting that in there for you is this, is that I'm not going to re-explain any of these messages today. And if you look at this list and you think, man, I, I struggle with envy or greed or something like that, and you weren't here for that Sunday, I want to strongly encourage you, strongly encourage you to go to our website and go to the media section and look at that message. And let the Lord work on your heart how to move you from greed, for instance, to generosity through the means of grace of hope. And at any rate, you can go there and you can listen to the message, so we're not going to re-talk about those this morning. Um, What I want to do is talk to you about what I've seen as a couple of dysfunctional patterns that we can easily succumb to when dealing with a sin issue in our life, a besetting sin, a vice, so to speak. Uh, The first one is functioning out of fear, uh, never feeling that you are truly forgiven. 
Say you got this problem, you think, I, I'm not really forgiven for this. I feel crossways with the Lord God. And this produces feelings of guilt and fear and apathy. I can never do this anyway and oftentimes can lead to some depression. This is why I've said over the last several weeks when it comes to these vices versus virtues that it isn't about trying hard not to do this and trying hard to do this. It's about understanding that God has given us a means of grace of getting from a vice to a virtue, amen? And we need to step into that means of grace. So if you have, you know, a, 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 a problem with, uh, I don't know, let's, let's go to the first one here of uh, pride. Oftentimes it's not about saying, oh, shucks, I'm going to really work on being a humble person. So anytime somebody gives me a compliment, I'm going to go, oh, that's not me. I'm not, you know, I don't do anything good, blah, 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 blah. No, though, that, that's still pride. You're still focused on yourself. It's right-mindedness. It's understanding who God is and who you are and what God is doing in your life and how he's using you, amen? And so the means of grace is right-mindedness, and and that's all I'm going to talk on those. The secret to overcoming is to step into the means of grace God has made available. And so oftentimes we're, 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 we're stuck because we haven't really stepped into the means of, of grace that God has provided for us. So functioning out of fear, never thinking that you're truly forgiven, is, is one dysfunctional way of dealing with a vice or a besetting sin. Another is settling for a divided life. Settling for a divided life. With your sin still clinging to you, you learn to live two lives. <laughs> and this is very dysfunctional. And you act one way in a certain crowd, you act another way in a certain crowd, and it's a very divided existence, and it's a dysfunctional duality. This is saying, I can't get rid of this thing, I'm going to learn to make a treaty with it. And I'm going to learn to, to survive with it. Uh, and and that's, that uh, will lead to uh, failure uh, quicker than about anything. Steve Deneff, whom I've quoted often in this series, said this, the reality is that you will blow it. And the challenge becomes not letting that define you. Will a mistake, a sin, be your label? I don't know how you do. Um, I have some things in my life that I regret and some things I wish I wouldn't have done. This morning as I was thinking about this message um, and eating my oatmeal and blueberries, right? I had the radio on and Refuge was on and the song came on, Hello, My Name is Regret. Anybody know that song? And, uh, you know, and then it goes on and says, Hello, my name is Defeat. These are the voices that try to speak to us. And later on, uh, it says, I am a child of the one true king. We just sang about that. Kyle did a great job. That's a great leading song today. I, I almost gave Kyle a holy kiss. That's a good song. Led really well into the message today. But oftentimes what happens to you and I uh, is we get defined by a label. Uh, of something where we fail, that we have a regret. I look back over the raising of six kids, and I really wish, like crazy, I could have some do-overs. There's some pivotal moments where I look back and said, oh, I blew that so badly. Praise God for his grace, but I still feel like I blew that, and I would love to have a do-over. Now, if you have little kids, you don't know what I'm talking about yet. You will understand this more the older you get. You'll look at some moments, you think, oh, I should have done that, or I should have done this. I look over some of my things in the work career, or in my pastoral ministry, and I wish I could have do-overs, and there's some regret. But is that going to become what labels you as a follower? If it does, that's dysfunctional, and that will lead to defeat. And the reality is that you and I will blow it, and the challenge becomes not letting that define us. Listen to this uh, this story, it's a great story. 
Fred Merkel played 16 years of professional baseball, most of them with the New York Giants. The most defining moment in his life occurred on September 23, 1908, when Merkel was a 19-year-old rookie given a rare start because of an injury to the regular first baseman, Fred Tenney. Three teams were vying for the pennant. Two of them were the New York Giants and the Chicago Cubs. In the bottom of the ninth, the score was tied one-to-one with two outs and two Giants on base. Moose McCormick was on third and Merkel was on first when Al Bridwell hit a single to center field. McCormick crossed the plate for what would have been the winning run. The Giants fans swarmed the field, but something went wrong. There is considerable debate here. Cubs manager Frank Chance stormed out of the dugout, screaming for his players to retrieve the ball from center field and tag second base. Chance believed Merkel got lost in the crowd and he never touched second base. According to the rules, the runner must advance or he could be forced out. When his players finally got the ball to second base, Chance insisted that umpire Hank O'Day call Merkel out, which he promptly did, thus nullifying the winning run. Since the score was still tied and the fans were still in the field, O'Day declared the game a draw and ordered the teams to replay it at the end of the season. So on October 8th, the Giants replayed the Cubs in a game the Giants had earlier won. This time the Cubs prevailed, 4-2, and the Giants' season was over. Even though the Giants went on to lose six more games in between Merkel's alleged mistake and the end of the season, angry fans needed someone to blame, so they pinned the whole season on Merkel. Don't forget to touch second base, they said whenever they saw him. One member of the media unfairly labeled Merkel a bonehead, and it stuck. To this day, you can search the internet for Fred's name, and the label bonehead will appear next to it. Described by his manager as a shrewd and aggressive player, Merkel finished with a lifetime batting average of 300. And I don't know if you know baseball, that's phenomenal. And five times he appeared in the World Series, but even though any of us could have done the same thing that Merkel did, Merkel was never forgiven by many of his fans for this alleged tragic mistake. Recently, a postscript to the story appeared in Sports Illustrated. 30 years later, Merkel attended a church in Florida with his daughter, Miriam, and the visiting minister introduced himself by saying, you don't know me, but you know where I'm from, Toledo, Ohio, the hometown of bonehead Fred Merkel. Disappointed by the minister's callous ignorance, Merkel allegedly whispered to his daughter, come on, let's go, and they slipped out unnoticed. There is a question behind the question, can you be well? Or uh, do you want to be well? And the question is, can I really be well? There is a question oftentimes behind that question, you know, that Jesus asked of the paralytic, do you want to be well? And the question behind the question is, can I be well? Or am I going to be like a Fred Merkel and have my whole life labeled by a mistake that I made? Is that always going to loom over my head? Am I always going to have some regrets for some things I didn't do in the past? Is some mistake I made 30 years ago going to continue to define who I am? And so when I pose that question to you nine weeks ago, do you want to be well? Behind that question, this is a question that some of us probably have is, can I be well? Can I really be well? We'll get to that later on. Peter the Apostle is one who experienced what it means to not touch second base. And I think he's been unfairly labeled. He's the one who denied Jesus Christ three times at the most critical point uh, of Jesus' earthly life. 
But Peter was a good disciple. He would have been batting 300, if you want to look at it that way. He got the answer right when Jesus asked, who am I? He said, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a big honking deal, amen? He got it figured out. Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the water. One disciple said, Lord, if that be you, I want a water walk. And he said, come to me in the water. And Peter what? He walked on the water. What other disciple did that? No other disciple did that. Even though Peter sank because he looked at the waves, he water walked. Would that not be cool? I water walked a little bit. It's called falling out of the skis. You water walk for about 10 feet and you, and it's not so fun. At any rate, Peter got some other things right. He said to the Lord in Matthew 19, verse 27, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, and you'll be rewarded 100 times over for that. He had this conviction that even if everyone else denied you, Lord, I will not. He said that to Jesus. And Jesus said, uh, this is going to be your second base, basically, Peter. You're going to miss this one. And it's going to try to define your life, but that won't define your life. When asked if he knew Jesus during the arrest and trial of Jesus Christ, Peter denied him three times. And the last time saying, I don't know what you're talking about. There it is. He just hit his second base miss, amen? He just ran right by it. He didn't touch it. And... He denied Jesus at the most critical point of ministry when Jesus was so vulnerable and at the mercy of all these unmerciful leaders who just wanted nothing but brutality when it came to Jesus Christ. Think about this. Peter wasn't that much different than Judas Iscariot in that regard. Judas Iscariot turned Jesus in for money. Peter walked away from him out of fear. Judas got Jesus arrested. Peter would not defend him once arrested. There are stories of failure both end up in the same chapters of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read about Jesus Iscariot, and you read about Peter failing the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is crucified. He's been resurrected, but Peter is basically stuck by his second base miss. He is stuck in this place of denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, will that label him? Will that become what he's known for? I don't know where you're at today. I know with me, I look at so many things in my life and I think, regret, rats, I wish I did that different. That kind of labels me. I'm a little bit hesitant to try this now because I tried this back then and it didn't work very well. I don't know how you do with that kind of thing. I, 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 I know that I struggle with some things. I don't think I'm very much different from most of you, amen? And the question becomes often in our life, Will the label stick with me until I die? Or will something transform me and create a new me? Peter did what a lot of us do when we don't know what to do. He went back to the old way of life. I'm going fishing, boys. You're going to come with me? And they all go fishing, and they didn't get a fish. See, when you're following Jesus, you can't go back, amen? It's never the same. You got skunked. I like to fish. Any of you like to fish in here? Some of you are saying, yeah, yeah. It's okay to say, yeah, I like to fish in church. Amen? I like to fish. I hate to get skunked. I don't think that's fun at all. I fish a lot at our lake place in Brainerd, Minnesota. The reason Dad originally bought that land was it was on one of the best fishing lakes in Minnesota, and that's proven to be the case. It's a great fishing lake. 
you can very rarely go out and not get a fish. You have to not be a good fisherman not to get a fish on that lake. You have to not know what you're doing at all. And you go out there, and I'm, I'm frustrated if I don't get a fish within the first five minutes. And if I don't, I just change to a different lure car. I've been fishing on that lake now for almost 40 years. I know what lures work, what colors work, where the fish are. And you know, we, we pretty rarely get skunked. Not, not, not even close. Um, but I know what it feels like not to catch fish. It's a cruddy feeling, and that's how the disciples felt that day. They're now frustrated by this empty fishing experience. I can hear my own reaction. I would say, this is a terrible bad day. What a bad day. Wouldn't, some of you who fish would probably say that also. And, and, and uh, the resurrected Jesus shows up on the shore. How's the fishing going, guys? <laughs> uh, not so good. Throw the net on the right side of the boat. What? You're on the shore. We're out here fishing. We're professionals. What do you know? Have you heard anybody tell you what to do? A know-it-all? Somebody well-intentioned with good advice, and you think, who are you? You don't know. I mean, I can imagine being out in a boat and, and trolling along on this lake that I know so well, and somebody standing there on the shore saying, you know, if you'll just cast on the other side of the boat, you'll catch a fish. <laughs> I just laugh at them. But for some reason, they throw it on the other side of the boat and they catch a whole bunch of fish. And, and, and it, it, it's going to change everything. It's going to cause Peter to remember, to remember who Jesus is and to remember what he's supposed to be doing with his life. Jesus is beginning a restoration problem of Jesus. He's beginning, or or Peter, excuse me, he's beginning to relabel him, to rename him, to get him back on task again. A key to becoming well, because you can be well. To be well, you can't become defined by failure. You just can't be defined by failure. You have to remember who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. Okay, so if you want to be well and you become convinced that I can be well, then you cannot be defined by failure, amen? And you have to remember who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. And we're going to look at this example of how this worked itself out in the case of Peter here in his restoration. Jesus did a repeat miracle that helped Peter to remember I find this just fascinating. There was another time when Peter experienced a miraculous catch when he was first called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told them at that time, throw your net over the boat one more time. They did. They had a miraculous catch of fish. Peter comes ashore and said, this was no normal thing. You must be the son of God. And, you know, I mean, he was just so impacted by that miraculous catch. Well, here we are again. Only this time, Peter is in the state of denial of Jesus Christ. He's had a second base miss. He's being labeled by this person uh, 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 who denies Jesus. And once again, Jesus is going to get this guy's heart. He goes right back to something that would speak to his heart. Throw the net on the right side of the boat. And they catch 153 fish, we're told. And Peter, being Peter, does what Peter does. He, 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 He just is impulsive. He jumps in the water and swims to Jesus Christ. And I think, all right, Peter, you're already coming back, buddy. You're already coming back because that's how you respond, right? Amen? If you follow the story of Peter at all, he's always impulsive. 
And so there's Peter standing, dripping wet before the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, he, he missed second base. And this is not going to be the end of his story. Jesus did a repeat miracle to begin to move this guy's heart back to, back to his calling. And for some of us, you know what happens when we get stuck in regrets and feeling defeat and being labeled by a mistake? What's happening when we don't even realize it is we're not responding to the calling of Christ in our lives. It's taken us right out of the game. And, and Jesus wants us in the game. He wants us to be responding to his, his calling. And, and so uh, now Peter is, so to speak, primed to move from this place of failure dripping wet before the Lord Jesus Christ to a place of recommissioning. And we read that Jesus had a fire going, and it's a coal fire. And Peter probably was stimulated by that coal fire. He smelled it, and he, and he saw it. And you know what happened by a coal fire? He denied Jesus Christ. He denied who Jesus was by a coal fire. And here he is standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just experienced another miracle, just like the first one. And now he's standing here. I mean, he's got to be thinking, Dave, are you all over the place here? You know what I mean? I've been here before and done some things. Only the last time I was before a coal fire, I denied you, Lord. And, and we can see here that, that um, basically Jesus did a repeat fire experience that would move Peter from denial uh, to recommitment. Uh, he is just working on this boy and bringing him to this place uh, where he's ready to, uh, to really respond. Do you ever wonder why the number 153 uh, 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 fish was recorded in the Bible? Why, why, why is that number in there? Because they're fishermen. Fishermen always tell you how many fish they catch. Right? And it's the last time these boys are going to go fishing, so they have one last great fish story to tell. I remember when Nate and I were uh, uh, fishing on our lake here, uh, this is a long time ago. Nate was a young guy at the time. We decided to uh, see how many fish we could catch in an hour. And this lake, you can catch northerns like crazy. We hate northerns. They're snakefish. We don't like them. Now, if you like northerns, I still love you. Don't take that personally. It's nothing, but I just don't like these, these northerns. So we thought, let's just see how many northerns we can catch in an hour, and we'll just throw them in the live well, out the back of the pontoon, right? And so we're going along, and I said, no stop in the boat. Every man for himself, you know what I mean? We're just going to throw the lure, catch them as fast as we can. After one hour, we caught 33 northerns, and they were in that live well. It was a horror show. It looked like something you would see, and you do not want to see that again. They were just slithering all over each other in there. And pretty soon I said to Nate, I can't look at that anymore. Get him out of there. You know, he just fished them out with the net. Now, why do I remember 33 fish? Because I'm a fisherman, right? You remember how many fish you catch when you're a fisherman. And, and I think what the, the, the point of the story here, to some degree, is simply this. This kind of thing would matter to these guys. And they had one last great fishing story to tell because now Christ is going to commission all of them to do the calling that he's called them to do. And he's going to give them, a, a, a Peter, I should say, a life-changing question. Um, so Peter and Jesus are eating. They're talking. It must have been awkward because there's the elephant in the room. Peter's denied Jesus. And he's had this repeat miracle. He's standing by the fire, right? Can you get this? 
Well, how's the weather today? You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of hot out today. It's kind of like South Dakota in August or July or June, whatever, you know. And they're just, it, it, to me, it would be awkward. There's an elephant in the room. You ever have an elephant in a room relationally with somebody? Man, I remember going to our family reunion years ago on the Sanderson side of our family. That's my mom's side. And I got there, and it was uh, myself and one of the kids. I can't even remember who came with me at that time. But I remember my uncle pulling me aside right away, and he said, Steve, there's some rules to the family gathering. I said, there's rules? Yeah, he goes, no talking politics, no talking religion. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, we fight too much. I said, oh. So, you know, the whole time there, I had to avoid talking about something I love the most in my life, and that's religion. Not, you follow what I'm saying, right? And I, I imagine there was this elephant in the room like that with Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's about to be blown to pieces here with an exchange that takes place. And it's found here in the Gospel of, of John in chapter 21. I'm going to begin with verse 15. Listen to this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Basically, he's saying, why are you fishing, buddy? Feed my lambs. What are you doing here? Reading between the lines a little bit, but I think that was the implication. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, this exchange makes a whole lot more sense if you go back to some of the original Greek language, because we only have one word for love, love. In the Greek, there's several words for love, and they mean different things. So that first time Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He's using the Greek word agapio. Do you agapio me? And what he means by that Greek word is this. Do you love me with a self-sacrificing, willing to die for me kind of love like I died for you on the cross? What could Peter answer to that question? Uh, no, because he denied him, right? So what Peter says back to Jesus is, Lord, I flail you. I love you like the city of Philadelphia with a brotherly love. That's how you remember flail means, brotherly love. Well, take care of my sheep. Get back to your calling. And once again, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape on me? And Peter once again says, Lord, I flail you. Well, then feed my sheep. And all during this conversation, he's saying, Peter, son of Simon, right? He's, he's using this formal language with him. Have you noticed that? Whenever my mom said, Stephen J. Norby, oh, man alive. That was not a good moment. How about you guys? And I, I just have that same sense in here. It's over and over again. He says, you know, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon, son of John, Simon, son of John. That's kind of formal. That's like, listen up, listen up, listen up. 
And then the third time he says to him, Jesus says to Peter, all right, Peter, do you flail me? Now Peter's hurt. Well, you know that I just said that twice, right? And he goes, Lord, you know all things. You know I flail you. I don't agape you, but I flail you. And then he says, feed my sheep again. Feed my lambs. Get back to your calling. And, and as he's saying this, I can almost see, we don't know the tone and the gesture because we're reading Scripture, you know, but I can almost see Jesus when he first says to Peter, do you agape me more than these? The 153 fish. More than the, you know, good reputation you have before your fellow disciples. Do you agape me more than all this? Do you love me more than all this? And Peter can't say yes to any of this, can he? Because at the point he hasn't proven that to be the case. And what the Lord Jesus is saying to him is this. There is no going back. Once you are in Jesus, my friends, there is no going back. Amen? The former life will never satisfy. It'll always be hollow. It'll always come up short. There is no going back to what you formerly were. You'll never be happy with that. And Jesus is saying to Peter, do what I've commissioned you to do. You have a different life purpose. You're called to be a fisher of men. Get after it. And he recommissions him. You've missed second base, so what? That's not the label you have for the rest of your life. So, let me ask you this question, because this is what Jesus was really asking Peter. And I'm going to just ask you this. Do you truly love Jesus? That's really the question Jesus is asking of Peter. Do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? And you know what was interesting? Even as Peter is being reinstated, you got to catch this because you go, why, why did he talk about Peter's death? You ever wonder why that's in this scripture? Well, here's why. Because basically Jesus was saying to Peter, you will get a chance to agape on me because you're going to die for me. And I'm going to tell you the kind of death you're going to die. And you will agape on me. You just don't know it yet. And we know that's the case, right? Peter was martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was willing to die rather than deny Jesus Christ. He is not defined by his miss on second base. But when we think of Peter so often, what do we think? Oh, he's the apostle that denied Jesus three times. Here's what it means to truly love Jesus. The way we are called to love Jesus is with all in kind of an attitude. With a sacrificial kind of a love that seeks first and foremost to please and follow the Lord. Right? So the way we are called to love Jesus is with an all-in sacrificial love that seeks first and foremost to please and follow the Lord. So to be well, if we want to be well, we have to answer the question by the, behind the question, can we be well? Yes. And how can we be well? By truly loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? By truly loving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really the first kind of like love exchange that takes place in the Gospels where Jesus called a disciple to just love him. And it's basically his last words of the Gospel of John. Lots of implication here. You see, 
At the heart of Christianity is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And up to this point, the disciples have been called to fear, obey, trust, follow, worship, serve, and admire Jesus. But now he's saying, I want you to love me. Peter, I want you to love me. And these are basically the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I think this exchange between Peter and and Jesus is super insightful. Because Jesus is saying, well, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for your flail love. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to love me like I love you. I want you to step into this love and experience this. And this love looks like serving others, Peter. This love looks like pouring out your life for others. This love looks like being sacrificial. That's what I'm calling you into. That's where you have to go now. Forget the second base miss. Get over that and get on mission for me. And trust me, by the time that you are getting this down, you're going to die for me and you're going to demonstrate it. Amen? Hmm. I just want to finish up here now. I need to finish. So let me leave you with this thought. Do you truly love Jesus today? Do you truly love Jesus? Steve Neff said it this way, if you love Jesus, everything else will come later and in direct proportion to your capacity to love him. To love Jesus enough and to love him aright is at the center of our well-being. Amen. To love him enough and to love him aright is at the center of our well-being. See, love covers a multitude of sins. Love moves us to holy discontent with vices. Love moves us towards the virtues. That's why it's so important. Summary of the whole message could be uh, thought of this way. You can be well by loving Jesus well. That's how I'd summarize everything I said to you this morning. You can be well by loving Jesus well. Our hope lies in this. Amen? So next week, we're going to move into more relational talk. And uh, I'm looking forward to some of that. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, I, I just want to lift up uh, each one here this morning. I know that oftentimes in our lives, we're not that different from a Fred Merkel that has uh, a definition maybe that's lingering in us, a label lingering in us uh, of a defeat, a regret of a missed second base, Lord. And today I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that any of us who are experiencing such a, such a, a kind of labeling, Lord, would realize that we are a child of God, that we're called to a different purpose, and that that, that label, that regret, that miss, isn't meant, isn't meant to stick with us as children of God. And I want to pray, Lord, that we would truly love you, Jesus, and knowing that as we love you well, we will be well. And I, I just pray, Lord, that you move on our hearts and, and create in us an agapio kind of love towards you that's sacrificial, that's servant-oriented, that seeks to do your will and seeks to respond to your call, Lord. That's the kind of love I pray that we exhibit as the people of God here at Grace Point. Would you, Holy Spirit, fill us with the unction and the power and the desire and the heart to love well as Christ has loved us. Thank you for uh, the example of Peter's restoration and thank you for all these insights and all the nuances to this scripture, Lord. What I see here, Jesus, is you went to great lengths, great lengths 
to restore Peter with this repeat miracle, with this repeat experience. You are engaging his senses, his memory, and everything, Lord, uh, in between to, to, to grab a hold of his heart once again and get him on task for you. And that just shows what kind of a Lord you are. And uh, that you'll go after us hard, Lord, and give us a heart that responds. Give us hearts of flesh, Lord, where there maybe have been hearts of stone. Give us ears to hear where maybe our ears have been stopped up. And create in us, Lord, this uh, desire to follow hard after you and, and to worship you and, and to love you, Lord God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you bless the people of Grace Point, Lord? Would you just come on, on them in a powerful, mighty, strong way this morning? And I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, we realize, Lord, we're sent once with a calling, with a purpose that's greater than the situation we're in, that's greater than family history, that's greater than the mistake that we've made. Lord, would you send us from this place with a purpose? And may we respond to your calling, Lord, with eyes firmly fixed in the Lord Jesus Christ, living life out loud for you, Lord Jesus, with no shame, with no inhibitions, Lord, creating us just this, uh, a real, real passionate following of you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, and by your blood. And all God's people said,